Hello, and welcome back to the Loyal Sons Podcast, presented by Capel Faithful. That's at Capel Faithful on Twitter. Follow us there and follow us here wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Loyal Sons Podcast, a safe and sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Today is Thursday, October 21st, and the number 23 Pitt Panthers are in the driver's seat of the ACC Coastal after a huge divisional win over Virginia Tech. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-hosts, Dylan and Squid. Gentlemen, how are we feeling today, and why is it the best you've ever felt? Finally got that number next to our name when the ticker goes across the bottom of the screen. Um, I mean, just dominated Virginia Tech. I don't like Virginia Tech. Probably the biggest rivalry, to me, we have in the ACC. That's come about organically, and we just went down there and kicked their ass. Felt good to win a Blacksburg, finally. So one of the, the key points of this game uh, was this was finally the Izzy Abanacanda breakout game that we had been waiting on for so long. Did you guys see it coming, and how do you think this impacts the way we approach our offense going forward? I can't say I saw him running for 140 yards, but I did get the feeling the last few weeks that we're moving a little more towards having Izzy being the main ball carrier, um, getting a brunt of the carries, and I thought, you know, a lot of times we get on to Lane Stadium and the weather isn't very good, so we're going to have to run the ball, and I didn't see us pounding the ball with any of the other backs outside of Izzy. Um, so I'm not going to say I predicted it, but I was ready for it, and it, it's long overdue, it feels like. The yards were one thing, but he looked so much more comfortable. I mean, the runs looked like like Le'Veon Bell when he was a stealer. He was patient. He was cutting back and forth, seeing holes develop. We haven't seen that from Pitt in a while. Like Even early in the year when he would play, he would kind of just run straight forward and fall forward. That didn't happen. He was going above and beyond and looked really, really impressive. I mean, a couple times he just reversed field, tried to get around the corner, and every time he got the corner. He was no just one, faster. Yeah, he's just too explosive for uh, Virginia Tech defense. It was, it was impressive. That's the athlete they were hyping up in the preseason. I, we kind of doubted ourselves for a little bit. We thought, did the coaches really hype up this guy for no reason? But he, he came looked, through today. He looked deal. as advertised. Yeah, I, on he one, looked like a guy who weighs two hundred thirty pounds, is chiseled, has an eight pack, and runs a four three. Yeah, and on Monday, uh, Pat Narduzzi said he's ready to remove that or that was next to uh, Izzy's name on the depth chart. Yeah, did you watch the interview though, or the press conference? That was taken a little bit out of context. He followed it up with having to prove it. He still has to prove it with the pass protection and things like that, which I thought I kind of saw a little bit on Saturday. Um, is he kind of whiffing on, on some pass protection yeah, he, plays? Had, he had one or two bad ones. So I think that's probably still the case, and maybe Vinny Davis is the guy for um, you know obvious passing downs. But clearly Narduzzi, Narduzzi wants to run the football. We know that. Um, and I think he loves when, when Izzy has the ball. So I don't that, know if it'll go into effect as soon as this week, because we, we play Clemson, and I don't care – Who's playing Clemson? You're probably not going to be able to run the ball that well on him. I know the Syracuse guy did last week, but he's kind of a freak. 
hate to give it to Syracuse for having good players, but he's a good Sean player. Tucker's a stud. Yeah. He'd, he'd be in the Heisman conversation if they weren't, like, an all-around pretty terrible team. Yeah. But for this upcoming week, Narduzzi mentioned, like, Izzy still is a puppy. He doesn't know what he's doing 100% of the time, but he's getting more comfortable. And they're probably more confident putting a guy who knows what he's doing and won't get Kenny Pickett killed, a.k.a. play uh, Vincent Davis a little bit more. But beyond Clemson, I don't think there's any uh, scary run defenses. I think if this continues, the way the offense of line played, the way Izzy played, that'll be a very balanced attack uh, beyond Clemson. Yeah, I mean, we we outrushed uh, our passing numbers. We we threw for 203, uh, Pickett did, and between Izzy, Kenny, and Vinny, um, which someone should put on a T-shirt. Uh, they had they had two oh eight four point seven yards a carry. I don't know if I expected at any point this season that we would you know outrush our passing game. Absolutely not. If you would have told me that two weeks ago, I would have said you're crazy. Maybe if Pickett rushed for two hundred yards in the game, I'd <laughs> I could see it happening. Yeah, I mean. Izzy was definitely aided by uh, a receiving core that looked like they learned how to drop the football again. Uh, some heavy gusts of wind and a Virginia Tech uh, defense that's more conducive to running against than uh, being able to pass the ball because they were, have a pretty decent secondary and a, and a hefty pass rush. Uh, but th- this is certainly what we have been waiting six games for. It's a very intriguing development. For this team, you know, that was probably, um, I mean, coming into this, one of the bigger doubts you have with this team is, are they going to be able to run the ball at all this year? Or is it just going to be, uh, you know, pick it or bust every game? And, I mean, that I think that's one of the most, that is one of the most promising things we got from this game was that they can win the game in different ways. They don't have to go out and throw for 400 yards to, mm-hmm. to beat these ACC teams. You know, they took the air out of the ball a little bit. They ran the football and kind of pushed around Virginia Tech uh, on the, with the ground game. Yeah, not to mention uh, in terms of very optimistic developments, uh, our defense learned how to do defense things again. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's start out with this. Braxton Burmeister, he's bad. Pile. Uh, the, I'm sure the wins didn't help him. You know, when you're not a when you don't have a rocket launcher for an arm like Kenny Pickett, you know, it's hard to throw the ball through those gusts of wind. But um, he he probably wasn't 100. percent I felt bad for Braxton Burmeister. I going to the game. I said I would have loved to just see him get thrown around, but I felt bad for him. He was getting hit left and right. Wasn't 100. percent And Virginia Tech kept making him throw it deep. Guys got a hurt shoulder and there's like 20 miles an hour of wind. What do you think is going to happen? But that's not to take away from the defense. Defense looked good and they stepped up every time they needed to. You know, they allowed the one the one touchdown, but even on that drive, you know, took a few questionable pass interference calls to get there. Was an insane catch by uh, by Tavion Robinson though. That one-handed grab in the end zone. No, 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 no. Oh, that was sweet. That was sweet. If you watch that play and only that play, you could be convinced that Virginia Tech actually has like athletes. <laughs> yeah, that that was a hell of a catch. Um, Trey Turner had the deep ball earlier mm-hmm. when he beat Marquez Williams on that drive, but that was really the only deep ball that Virginia Tech was able to get against the Panthers. And it's just, I mean, give it to the defensive backs. That that was probably their strongest performance of the season. They looked good last game. 
and the defense as a whole. We saw it a lot in the Tennessee game. We were worried about the big plays. We missed tackles on screen passes. We got beat deep, blown coverages. They really tightened it up. We were seeing that, but we were also facing pretty mediocre or terrible offenses. Uh, You'd say Virginia Tech's offense isn't very good either, but I think it's been consistent throughout the last stretch of this season that uh, they've kind of locked it down and don't have many holes. It also really helped us that Virginia Tech was clearly uncomfortable letting Braxton Burmeister run the ball. He he took a couple design quarterback draws uh, in the second half and actually burnt us on a few of them. Uh, but before that, they clearly wanted no part of getting him into space and, and letting, you know, Servassier Dennis or uh, Pine or Campbell get a running head start and take a shot on him on that shoulder. What that was was Justin Fuente realizing that he can't get embarrassed so his, he, so his seat will get any more hot. He said, by any means, we got to make this close and respectable. And if that means my quarterback gets his head ripped off or his arm falls off, then so be it. Kalaja Kansi is actually wanted for murder down in Blacksburg right now. So I, I can see why they wouldn't wanted to protect Burmeister a little bit, but that sack no, was hilarious. Nothing will save you from the wrath of Kalaja Kansi. Oh my gosh. That was the whole game. The defense was playing with malicious intentions. And I don't think that's encapsulated any better than Kalaja Kansi throwing a swim move on a guard, blowing the running back onto his ass and bringing Burmeister down on his way to the ground. Yeah, that play was filthy. That's all there is to say about that. Um, I mean, we, we'd say it, I think, every podcast, but Kalijah Kansi is an absolute monster. Dude's a freak. So it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. There was, uh, you know, a, a little bit of, of pain points uh, revealed in this game, uh, and one of those... Um, no, I, I referenced the receivers learned how to drop a ball again. Uh, I think Taysier Mack uh, had to drop three balls, maybe. Uh, I saw Pro Football Focus counted six drops total. I don't know. I think three were Mack. Yeah. And maybe that's because... Did it feel like we had to go to him a little bit more? Like they put a little bit of the clamps on Addison? He only had, uh, what, uh, five catches for 62 yards? Yeah, they went to Addison a couple times early, and I bet Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator said, no, no, enough of that. we got to make someone else beat us. Um, I'm sure he got plenty of attention from the Virginia Tech defense. Um, but it allowed you know, a guy like Jared Wayne to step up. Probably mm-hmm. his, I have to say, maybe his biggest game in a Panther uniform. Six um, catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, including the just unbelievable catch uh, down near the five-yard line. Just going up, 50-50 ball, and going and getting it. That, that was, was a, beautiful. a grown man play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, you know, maybe a few more times the Mac spread the ball around a little bit to the other guys. But that's that's the beauty of having a, a number one receiver that's that talented. It, it just opens things up for everyone else. Now, what do you make of the penalties, specifically the pre-snap penalties that uh, the Panthers incurred? Because there were quite a few. We had nine penalties for 73 yards, and it feels like every single one of them was because of some pre-snap motion or an offensive lineman jumping. I really hope that that's something we can clean up this week. Um, That was a big problem last year, but it hadn't seemed to be as big of an issue this season. Um, So I'm hoping that's just a a one-off and we get that cleaned up for this week. 
Clemson's not a team you can allow for that to happen. If you're getting pre-snap penalties against that defense, it's going to make it a million times harder. So hopefully we got them out of the way in Blacksburg, and uh, we'll be cleaned up in front of the 60,000 loud fans at Heinz Field this week. Yes, let's hope so. And I, I think cleaning up is exactly the right phraseology to use because a lot of the, we won this game, we dominated this game. It wasn't our best offensive performance. I would actually say it was our worst offensive performance of the season, and it did reveal a couple of the issues that we had last year with procedural penalties, uh, drops, you know, things akin uh, to that. Chris Tadulu looked atrocious. And these are all things that we can't have happen against Clemson. Uh, but I don't want to take away how out of the game Virginia Tech looked the entire time because of the way Kenny Pickett, Izzy Abanacanda, and the collective defense looked. Like we said earlier, um, you know, the optimistic points of this game, even though this wasn't the cleanest game they played, this wasn't the most you know, high-powered offensive game they played, they just dominated. It never looked like the game was in trouble. And those procedural penalties and those, you know, shank punts that in past years, those are the swings in the game, and that's what loses you a big game on the road against Virginia Tech. This game, they were able to go right by it because, you know, the defense stepped up, because the running game stepped up. And it's that balanced attack that we're talking about. Um, when the team's balanced, you know, some areas of the team can be have off weeks, um, but other, other guys step up and and fix that so it was really promising for me i'll provide a spin zone here it was a good thing that we had all those this week because it showed the team hey you're not perfect clean it up for clemson if they had a blowout no penalties team might be riding a little too high going to the biggest game of the season so this is keeping them grounded no you gotta play a little bit better next week Everyone on this team who plays has faced clemson and they know what they're about and they made them look bad like, really bad. They scored 31 points on us in the first quarter the last time they played. So there's uh, that extra motivation to get them back. Like we said, it's the Kenny Pickett revenge tour. He's going to get that one against Clemson. He better. And I'm, I really like that they're approaching you know, this week as we still have business to take care of and, and we still have things to clean up. However, if I had told you at the beginning of the season that we would go into Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia, have nine penalties, uh, average about 38 yards a punt, and have six drops, what do you think the final score of that game would have been? 28-7, only the other way. It could have got ugly. Exactly. And that's the mark of a very good football team, which I think we just might have this year, is that you can make a whole bunch of mistakes. Your Heisman candidate can only throw for 200 yards, and you can still beat the brakes off of an in-division rival. Completely agree. In years past, if we get the ball first play, uh, get called for a holding or a false start, you can basically get the punt team warmed up because... This team was not explosive. We could not run the ball if we tried, and it was relying on if Piggy could run for his life and find a guy on third down. Now we have a little bit more support everywhere, and those little mistakes can be overcome. Yeah, giving Kenny Pickett second and five or third and five, is it, it feels like we're cheating. 
in years past, I thought that Mark Whipple just genuinely enjoyed having like third and mediums because I swear every drive we'd have a third and seven or a third and six. Every drive. And now when we have them, we can just hand the ball to Izzy Abanacanda or reverse field and get it twice. Yeah. Amazing what a couple yards difference can make. Mm-hmm. So I um, before we move on, I want to pick your guys' brain a little bit on uh, – the the Panthers ranking this week we we hopped into the AP poll and the coaches poll at uh, 23 apiece uh, we are just about 110 uh, voting points behind the 22nd ranked team San Diego State but it is a starting point our first ranking since we played Louisville last year uh, what do we make of that do you guys think that that's a fair ranking I was just happy to get in I wasn't sure I felt like they had done enough to be a ranked team, but knowing how the pools work, you know, a team has to lose to get bumped down, and they just shuffle around off the previous week's rankings. But I'm happy at 23. As long as we're ranked and, you know, just keep winning and we'll just keep going up. But, um, yeah, it was nice to see us get some national recognition. Yeah, I thought about nitpicking, like, oh, we should be higher than this team and this team, blah, blah, blah. I know we haven't played Murderer's Row, and everyone's going to count that loss as a big stain, which it is. Go beat Clemson, and I don't care if it's a down year. People are going to notice and be like, this team might be, for real, like a one or two loss team at the end of the year. So take care of business this week, and I will see how high we jump. Pitt definitely benefited from the 17, 18, 19, 20, and 25th ranked teams losing. Um... But I still genuinely believe that this team deserves the position that they are in. Uh, I think if we didn't slip up just one goddamn time against a Mac opponent, we could be near the top 15. Um, But I think this is what this team deserves. I'm also happy uh, that Tennessee lost. Um, I was cheering for them in that absolutely bizarre game against Ole Miss, but I still think that if they had beaten Ole Miss, the pollsters would have snuck them ahead of Pitt despite having more losses and one of them being to Pitt. I was pretty certain it was going to happen. Yeah, and I, I think they deserved to lose after their fans just threw debris and golf balls and whatever else, like mustard bottles, whatever they could find. Southern the Hospitality. That was uh, one of the <laughs> most bizarre scenes in college football I think you'll ever see. I the best part is they almost won. <laughs> they were like a couple inches high on Joe Milton overthrow away from just winning that game. And that would have been so poetic. Everyone was talking about how classless this is. They should just end the game and they just get a three and out, get the ball back, march down and win. That would be the ultimate fuck you to Lane Kiffin. <laughs> I can't believe that a fan base that acted like we burned down a church when we booed them in their own city at uh, Tommy Trent's then went on to make their field look like a fucking landfill. But how about Joe Milton? The gift that keeps on giving. Uh, He's the best. I love him so much. It was a blessing that Pitt injured him. But it was a blessing that Hendon Hooker got hurt and he came back in and had that glorious last play. The guy with the rocket arm, afraid to throw a Hail Mary. But not to stay too distracted, the Pitt Panthers are ranked going into a massive matchup against Clemson. The, the unranked Clemson Tigers. The unranked Clemson Tigers. In the Tigers. AP poll, they are number 24 in the coaches poll. Uh, but... 
this has all the makings of a uh, major day in pit sports. Can he pick it on first down? Pressure in his face. Down the sideline, wide open man, Wayne, for the touchdown. That ball was thrown before Wayne turned up the field. After another gem in which he accounted for over 240 total yards and three total touchdowns, Kenny Pickett is still very much in the race for John Heisman's trophy. This is Heisman Watch. All right, gentlemen, statistically not his most impressive game thus far this season. Actually, you could make a case that it's his least impressive game. However, Kenny Pickett was very much in command against Virginia Tech and is still very much in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, how do we like his odds after uh, the win against the Hokies? The odds are actually better than they were the last time we checked in. He is now sixth in odds. Bryce Young and Matt Corral are neck and neck, first and second. And there's a big gap down to C.J. Stroud, Kenneth Walker the third, Desmond Ritter, and then Kenny Pickett close behind him with plus 2,200 odds. I think that's depending on the uh, the sports book you're using, because when I checked FanDuel this morning, they had him at fourth with plus 2,000. Well, then, pull up FanDuel. Are we about to be big FanDuel, guys? This is not an ad. Um, <laughs> Pay us, FanDuel. So, wherever you want to put him, fourth, sixth, whatever that may be, there's no debating that he's well in the thick of the race. And I think probably some of those increasing odds are with the uh, the more and more buzz around Pitt being a, not only a contender, but a favorite in the ACC right now. Um, you got to be on a winner to win the Heisman. And right now, a lot of people think Pitt's going to be a winner. Well, we saw it last week. John Robinson for Texas was previously higher odds than Kenny Pickett. He had a really good game. He had a couple of touchdowns and a ton of yards, but they lost. So everyone was like, well, we don't care about you anymore. Your team isn't that good. And he fell out. I don't know where he is now, but he's way behind. Out of the race, probably. Yeah. I mean, he was never really in it, but cool running back for Texas. Give him a shot. I would disagree because I love him. I think he's incredible. Um, but I do agree. You need to be on a winner. And I think it's such a good sign that Kenny Pickett could put up numbers that if you didn't watch the game and you didn't see the drops and you didn't see the game flow, would think are kind of pedestrian. And he went up in Heisman odds. When we ran this segment the first time, we talked about all it will take is one average performance from Kenny, and he is cooked uh, in the race for the Heisman Trophy. However, the fact that he moved up and people still saw how impressive he was despite subpar numbers by his standard, guys, we, we might have a, a real contender here. I mean, it's all about the media hype, right? Yeah. Uh, more and more people it. saying that he's going to be potential first round pick um you know writer for sports illustrated put out his mock today we saw that number one overall number only one overall only a matter of time <laughs> but the more the more draft buzz he gets the more buzz the panthers get the more and more of those odds are going to shrink and kenny's going to keep pushing his way up that uh those has the odds. way i see it bryce young and cj stroud Obviously, Ohio State, Alabama, they're going to be national contenders. They're going to put up big numbers. But they're not putting up crazy numbers. They're putting up numbers that we've seen year in, year out from quarterbacks at their respective schools. 
So maybe the media will be a little tired. Like, yeah, Alabama again, Ohio State again. These guys aren't uh, as good as the previous guys who were there, maybe. Matt Corral's a new guy in a fun system where he throws or runs Every 60 play. times yeah. a game, and Lane Kiffin's going to get him killed. But Matt Corral's questionable this week. I don't know if that was Lane Kiffin just blowing smoke or if Matt Corral actually might not play this week. So, And you got to be healthy to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. We've seen that before. He already has a lead in yards and touchdowns over Corral, so if Corral misses a game, that gap will only grow. So get your Heisman moment this week in Heinz Field in front of the sellout crowd on national TV against the Clemson Tigers, and then this will be a fun segment. How many different plays this year do you think we're going to call Kenny's Heisman moment? Because I'm ready to call that uh, naked bootleg against Virginia Tech a Heisman moment. How about the, uh, the throw to Jared Wayne off his back foot? While getting that? crushed. How about that as a Heisman moment? That's going to be a Heisman moment and a moment they show very early on in his uh, draft footage. NFL scouts are going to love that. The toughness on this kid to wear one of the chops and throw a dime. Yeah, so that's already two from one week, so we're looking at about six more weeks. It's 12 more Heisman <laughs> 12 more things we're going to call a Heisman moment. I do have one thing that worries me, though, um, coming out of this game in terms of Kenny's chances. Uh, Izzy looked great. And overall, this is wonderful for the Pitt Panthers. This is such a, a good development for the team and for our chances going forward. However, we all know the type of football that Pat Narduzzi deeply, deeply wants to play. He wants to win games 17-7. to He wants to go up two scores and then sit on the ball, take the air out of it, run, play possession, keep his defense off the field. I'm worried that they're going to see this shiny new toy that is Izzy, and all of a sudden we're going to be running the ball 30 times a game, and he's going to take the pressure off of Kenny, keep him safe, um, keep him uninjured, which is good. But, you know, Kenny is only in this conversation because we had to throw the ball 40 times a game in order to put up points and win. And I'm just scared that Narduzzi is going to give in to his, uh, his Big Ten roots and turn us into, you know, another Iowa-Michigan State. Obviously not. You use the weapons that you have, but that is the creeping suspicion that I've had since, you know... That 11-minute drive where we just kept handing the ball off to Izzy and didn't give Pickett a chance to, you know, let loose at all in the second half. Yeah, I think Narduzzi, if there's one thing he loves more than smash-mouth football, it's Kenny Pickett. He loves Kenny Pickett, and he wants to see him sling it out there. Um, like you, Like you said, John, I think... He will do what's best for the team. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah, of course, the football coach doing what's best for the team. But if they can run the ball effectively and have a balanced passing attack, I think Kenny can still put up some pretty impressive numbers. And now that he is in the thick of that conversation, it won't matter as much. Um, If he's not putting up video game numbers, but if they're winning and he's being gritty Kenny Pickett and still putting up respectable numbers comparable to the other contenders, I think he'll be all right. The ball is down. The kick is on its way. That kick long enough. That kick high enough. And yes! the kick is yes! good. Yes! 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 <laughs> 43-42. Panthers have the lead with six seconds to go in Death Valley.
This week, we welcome on Will Vandervoort, co-host of Believe in Clemson, writer for the Clemson Insider, and author of The Hidden History of Clemson Football. Will, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Riding doing pretty high. good ourselves. Yeah, we're, we're riding a little high. So uh, you're going to be representing Clemson Football on our podcast this week. Give us a little bit of insight in what we can expect this week. Um, absorb our jabs as we ride high off of a big win against Virginia Tech. Uh, but just want to get it out of the way real quick. You are a huge Steelers fan, so there is some commonality here, correct? Yeah, that's why if you go on Twitter and you see my name is Steeler Will on Twitter, um, it's my persona, if you will. And all the Clemson uh, fans who, who follow my work and stuff, they know they know me as such, uh, more so as Steeler Will. And anybody that works with me uh, knows I'm a huge uh, Steelers fan, live and die with my Steelers. Um, it's, it's what I, my life revolves around during this time of year. Um, I got my work that I do. I love my work. I love covering Clemson, obviously, but um, my passion is with the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you will. So uh, I am, um, you know, last night they gave me another heart attack almost, as they like to do each and every week. So that was fun. Uh, but now, uh, but hey, got a win last night. I'll take mm-hmm. it, even if it was to uh, Geno Smith. I know a lot of everybody's giving me a hard time, like, yo, beat Geno Smith. What's the big deal? I'm like, it's a win, and I'm a, it's a big deal to me. Because uh, the Steelers are three and three, and as we move forward, uh, hopefully after a bye week we'll get to four and three. But we'll see. I, right now, I'm just going to enjoy the next two weeks and know that we've won two straight games. Well, you know, it was a big deal for us as Pitt fans because Geno Smith is uh, the most prominent West Virginia football product in a couple years. So getting to watch our team sack him five times was uh, very cathartic. It felt very good. Well, you know, it's the, la- the last time I saw Geno Smith play myself was um, where I watched a game where he played the whole game in, was the uh, the infamous Orange Bowl for Clemson back in 2012 when oh, yeah. Virginia went off on them and they put 70 on the, on the Tigers that day. I was covering that game. Um, and, um, yeah, just let me just say that that was one of those game stories that I was done probably at halftime. And I just sat there and <laughs> waited for the game to get over for the most part. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's the last time I really saw Geno Smith play. A little different outing for Geno Smith um, in that game than this one. Um, but, you know, the Steelers' defense, you know, with TJ and them, is a little bit different than what Clemson had back in 2012. <laughs> yes, but now it's a little bit more akin to what Clemson has uh, in, the, in the more common era. So I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this first and I'm sure you kind of saw it coming uh so the defense for Clemson this year obviously lights out uh haven't conceded more than 24 points I believe yet this year however the offense under DJ Uyongalele has taken a major step back uh what do you attribute that to um man offense man we can go a lot of places with their problems on offense they uh They've had a lot of injuries, uh, for one. Um, uh, offensive line has been where they've had some major issues because of either injuries or COVID or just a lot of other things that have caused it. Um, and that's where it all started. They kind of thought they had things shored up when they played Boston College. This is where you guys are catching a break, and so does Syracuse, because Hunter Rayburn, who hasn't been a completely healthy he finally gets healthy for that BC game, and they take Matt Bockhorst, who's really their all-ACC guard. That's where he was last year and the year before. And he got to move back to a natural position that he really enjoys playing. He's not a big fan of playing the center position. 
And so they, um, you know, against BC, they ran all over BC and um, they looked jailed. They looked like the, the offensive line that they can be. Um, and so they felt real good about that group. And then they get to um, this past week, they get up there to uh, Syracuse and Rayburn at 1030 in the morning finds out on game day that he's been tested positive for COVID. So he has to fly back home by himself. And uh, Clemson puts in Mason Trotter, who's been out all year with a broken left hand and, uh, excuse me, broken right hand, his snapping hand. And so he's got to come in and play for the first time all year. They, they struggled a little bit at times. They had the one bad snap that he had. Um, uh, but they just weren't the same fluent offensive line that they were against BC. Um, and I think that had a little bit to do with it. Uh, they've kind of mixed and matched things all throughout the year on that offensive line. Uh, they, for you guys, they won't have Hunter Rayburn this week because um, he got COVID. Basically, they found out he probably would have gotten on Friday when he's because they think he got it from his from somebody else that he hangs around with, and so he's not going to be available already. Dabo said yesterday he's not going to be available for this game because of the COVID protocols. He's got to go ten days, um, so he's going to be uh, he's right in the middle of that ten day window um, or right near the end of it. So he will not be available for the game on Saturday at Pitt. So that means Mason Trotter will start again at center. Matt Bockhorst will probably be right guard. Um, and then um, at left guard will be uh, the freshman Marcus Tate. Uh, they're pretty solid at tackles with Walker Parks. He's coming back from a concussion, though. Um, he wasn't. He only practiced two days last week. So he didn't really play well against Syracuse. Actually, it was his worst game of the season. Um, and then they're going to have, obviously, Jordan McFadden. They're all ACC left tackle. Um, he's a he's a bit visible. So that's where the issues have been most of the time. Offensive on the other parts, running game I think is fine. Even though Will Shipley likely will not play this week, so you guys don't got to worry about seeing him. Um, but they will have Maffa and Kobe Pace. Those two guys have done well running the ball. They're both averaging over five yards a carry. Um, so they they feel real good with their running back situation. The wide receivers though, and the quarterback that uh, DJ Uyungle, they just cannot get on the same page. And that's been the issue with them. Either uh, somebody's not – they're not on the same when it comes to hot reads or he's run – he's the, the wide receiver's running a go. He thought they're running an out. Um, you know, somebody's running um, – they're running corners or he's going to run a hitch. You know, so they've just been doing things like that all year. Um, and uh, they just haven't been on the same page. And then, you know, last week I thought he played his best game overall uh, on the season – Completed 72% of his passes, but his receivers dropped five balls. That really cost him. Killed drive killers, um, if you will. Mm. And um, one was uh, Justin Ross, who's been the biggest disappointment, in my opinion. Um, he, dro- he dropped the ball right over the middle where he catches that. He scores easy uh, for a touchdown. He just drops it, you know. Um, so there's, there's no rhyme or reason of what's going on at wide receiver. The wide receivers have been the most disappointing part. Because you knew the offensive line was going to struggle you got a new quarterback. You know there's going to be some times where he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence because you don't expect him to be Trevor Lawrence. So you knew all those things were going to be there. But what they thought was they had a very good wide receiving core with some experienced players, and you bring Justin Ross back, that they were going to be really dynamic at wide receiver. And they've just they've been disappointing. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah, so obviously, you know, a lot of – a lot of inconsistency with the offensive line with, you know, Justin Ross coming off the, the pretty big injury he dealt with a year ago. Um, so Clemson's made six straight college football playoffs um, and that streak's 
probably going to end this year unless the playoff committee executes an emergency bill to expand the playoff. Um, uh-huh. Yes. Is there, is there a concern around the Clemson fan base, around the program, that this could be a bigger issue than just this season? Or is the feeling that they'll probably write the ship next year and get right back to the top of the, the country? Oh, no. Uh, you know, Clemson fans are like Pitt fans and Steeler fans. You know, they're just, you know, the expectation is to win all the time. Um, you know, best is a standard, they say, at Clemson. Um, we've heard that before, right? Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, so they um, they expect to win. And so the fans are not happy. I mean, you would think you're okay if you win six uh, consecutive ACC championships and you're in the college football playoff and you've played for the national title four times in those six years and you've won it twice. You would think that gives you a little leeway to have a – a down year, right? But uh, if you listen to these fans, man, on this radio or on our message boards, um, they're just like, they're pissed. That's the best way to say it. They're pissed. They don't like it. They don't like the direction they're seeing. Um, yes, some have even said they wanted a new offensive coordinator. Um, you know, even though they said they loved Tony Elliott a year ago and please don't go to Tennessee. But now they're like, we wish you would have went to Tennessee. Uh, you know, so they're, <laughs> you know, they're a typical fan base, right? And I'm sure if Clemson were to go up and figure a way to score 30 points on Pitt, then everything would be hunky-dory again. Uh, but um, but until that happens, they're just going to be as fans are. So there is some disappointment. I think the logical fans would tell you they're not worried about as much because when you look at Clemson's recruiting rankings, you know, they've been top 10 every year the last six years. They got, they, they're loaded with depth. Um, and listen, if most team had the injuries, Clemson at one going into the or coming out of the NC State game, Clemson had 21 players injured with some sort of injury that's going to cause them to miss time. So it was like, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, they had bumps and bruises. No, 21 legitimate injuries coming out of that NC State game. Uh, they lost Brian Brzee for the year. Um, you know, Tyler Davis the week before that, he got hurt for six or seven weeks. You know, you guys aren't going to have to worry about those two guys, which they're, they're nasty. They're dominant up front. That's been mm-hmm. – uh, that's something for teams that are playing Clemson right now that they don't have to worry about anymore. Um, and so, you know, that's really hurt, hurt them there. Um, and so, because of Clemson's depth, though, and this is where fans don't understand, they are able to still win these games because of their depth, because of their talent. Because even though Clemson's – second-string defensive tackles are not as good as Brian Brzee and Tyler Davis. They're better than most anybody else in the conference. And, you know, and that's why they have that advantage, and they're able to win some of these games that, I'll be honest with you, they probably should have lost. Um, They brought only 65 players with them to Syracuse last Friday. Clemson always brings the max when it comes to players. But there's 14 players who couldn't make the trip because of injuries. So, um, now they're going to be a little bit more healthy this week, uh, especially on the back end. They're going to get. Uh, they're going to be fully stopped at defensive backs. That's where they've been beat up the last few weeks. So they're Fred Davis, who's out with an ankle injury the last three weeks. He's going to be back. So that's going to give them more depth. Malcolm Green came back last week. So did Mario Goodrich. Um, so they're going, they're getting healthy on the back end right now. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, they've just they've just been beat up a lot, and so they could win. If they can win games like this as beat up as I can only imagine if they were healthy, how what they could do. I still th- believe if, if if they could have won that NC State game if they just didn't get so beat up. And then also if the offense just showed any kind of life, too, to be honest with you. The reason they got so beat up in that game on defense side of the ball is because NC State had 96 plays, guys. They ran 96 plays 
against Clemson that day. And it wasn't like an up-tempo 96 plays, you know, like you see Ole Miss and those guys do. It wasn't that kind of 96 plays. It was ball control, and they the Clemson defense just wore down because Clemson's offense had seven straight three and outs. Seven straight three and outs. It's a wonder they were in the game to begin with, but they were. They were. They had. It went into double overtime. So <laughs> it's amazing. That game went into double overtime, and their defense was on the field for like, you know, I think forty-seven minutes. You know, of regulation. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was that bad. Um, and and they, but, wow. but that's also how they lost Brian Brzee. Uh He got injured late in that game. Um, you know, so and they lost a couple other guys to injuries because when you, you're on the field longer, the longer you have a chance to get injured, the better the chance it is to get injured. And um, especially on the defensive side of the ball when you're playing that long. Yeah, that would that would definitely explain uh, some of the injuries. So I, I wanted to kind of call back to uh, what you were saying about your offensive coordinator, that there was some uh, mounting questions from the fan base uh, about his fitness for the position as Clemson's offensive coordinator. I think we've been seeing, uh, especially recently with Ed O'Dron's planned departure from uh, Louisiana State, how fickle college fan bases can be. Um, so hypothetically, if, if this isn't, you know, just a, a one-off thing where, where Clemson's struggling a little bit, you know, still, still only a two-loss team, but if you saw this sort of progression where you continued to struggle uh, against ACC opponents for the coming years. How many years of this repeated performance do you think it would take for Clemson fans to start calling for Dabo's head? Oh, for Dabo's head, uh, that would take a while. Clemson is a more patient. Um, they've always been more patient with people than other teams and programs. And the reason that is is because they see the, uh, the hot mess that's down in Columbia most years. Um, with with their rival in South Carolina, <laughs> um, and 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 and, and, I, and I be I'm being facetious, but I'm also being sort of accurate. South Carolina, with the exception of Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, they just don't keep coaches that long. You know, they run them off really fast, and um, you know, so they've kind of seen that in the past. That's not always the way to do things. And the reason Spurrier and Lou Holtz worked out is because the in Columbia. Like, you know, it's the capital city. It's where the journalism school is. There's a lot of influence into that program more than needs to be. And so, like, from the big wigs around the state and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of politics that goes into it. And so unless you have a big figurehead like a Steve Spurrier or Lou Holtz who can kind of fight that off and say, listen, you know, I'm Steve Spurrier. Just get out of my office. I'm Lou Holtz. Get him my office. They had more of a say in pool that they can push those guys out where a Will Muschamp didn't have a chance because those guys would just eat him alive. And they did. They ate him alive. And um, the pressure and everything, the politics of it. Clemson has learned from them. So that's why you've seen Clemson have Danny Ford here for 12 years. They had Frank Howard here for 35, 30 years, plus, you know, when he's an assistant, 40 years tops overall. I mean, and then they had, you know, and, and even Ken Hatfield was here five years, and he, you know, fans hated Ken Hatfield, but he was here five years. You know, and, and Tommy West was here five years. So they've shown, and then Tommy Bowden, you know, you know, I love Coach Bowden, but let's be honest, he could never get over the hump. But he was at Clemson for 10 years, you know. So Clemson has that, they've shown that they'll, they'll, they'll keep a coach and give him more leeway. Dabo Sweeney, man, is the most successful coach they've ever had. You know, I mean – 
he did better than Danny Ford, and Danny Ford was a legend here and uh, would have been able to stay as long as he wanted to. I think Dabo stays as long as Dabo wants to stay at Clemson, uh, to be honest with you. So um, it would have to be really go dark for the Clemson fans to want to run Dabo Sweeney off. That's very Steelers-esque of Clemson. You don't see that a lot in college programs, you that don't. kind of patience. Yeah, you don't, um, you know, because you think about it this way. You know, you add Dabo's 12 years now, 13 years now, and Tommy's 10. They've only had two coaches in the tw- last 23 years. Now, there's not a lot of college teams that can say that, you know. Um, so, um, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. And then before that, you know, you had Ken Hatfield and them in between, but then Danny Ford was there for as long as he was. And then there was a couple coaches in between him and Frank Howard, who was there for 30 years. So you're right. It's a little, it's a little familiarity there uh, that Pittsburgh people should recognize uh, when it comes to that with the, with the Steelers on how they've kept coaches. Typically a coach who will probably have a statue of his own outside the stadium can stick around as long as he wants. And I'm thinking Dabo has just about earned himself a statue. I think Dabo should have gotten one already. Uh, to be honest, right. I'm a little surprised he hasn't got one. I mean, what Clemson has done, guys, in the last – a lot of people think of the last six years, but really it's longer than that. It goes all the way back to 2011. And um, what they've done, the amount of consistency they've done, is unparalleled in the, in the country. I mean, they just ended a streak that was the second longest streak of being ranked in the AP top five, top ten in history on consecutive yeah. weeks. Only Miami topped them. You know, uh, not even Florida State, Alabama, Ohio State have been – the streak Clemson just went on, just ended with. So, I mean, you know, and uh, right now they're that 10, they've won 10 plus games every year since 2011. If they are able to do that this year again, um, you know, right now they're kind of teetering on, on not being able to get that done. But if they do get it done, you know, they'll be, they'll be only Florida State, Alabama, and Clemson will be the only three schools that have done it that many years in a row. I mean, this is, you know, this is, what Dabo Sweeney has done already at Clemson is just, it's very historic in the eyes of college football. Now, a lot of college football people don't know that because all they ever hear about is Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. Um, and for good reason, because what Alabama's done is unbelievable. But if it wasn't for Nick Saban and what he's been doing the last 12 years, Dabo Sweeney might be the best coach in college football if it wasn't for Nick Saban. Um, when you think of what Dabo's done in comparison to, I mean. Agreed, yeah. You know, so it's it's crazy, but a lot of people don't know Clemson's, had this unprecedented run in college football. And the reason a lot of people don't know about it is because what Alabama has also had an unprecedented run in college football. That's a pretty thorough answer to what was in hindsight, a very stupid question. (laughs) No, no, there's no such thing as a stupid question. All right. So don't, don't. (laughs) So we got a pretty good background on Clemson. We got to this point, you set the scene for how they got here, but before we dive into this week's matchup, what is your honest opinion on the Pitt football program? We asked all of our guests in different schools, so we're wondering what Clemson fans think of the Pitt football program. So I – okay, first of all, I like the Pitt program for a lot of reasons. A, uh, my family's from Pittsburgh. <laughs> there's, there's the first reason. Um, so obviously there's a little bit – I do watch Pittsburgh more than any other college. I watch Pitt more because of my family's background and with my dad and everything. So I will watch Pitt probably second most to Clemson because obviously I'm covering Clemson and all that. But if a Pitt game's on, I always watch it. Um, I'll be honest. I, I'm always pulling for him because it's Pittsburgh. And uh, anything Pittsburgh, I pull for. 
And so I'll be pulling for him um, in that sense. And so I have a little bit different uh, opinion than most probably guys that are covering Clemson this week from Clemson. I mean, covering Pitt from Clemson, other writers and stuff. Uh, so I am a little more familiar with them. Um, I'll be honest. First thing, um, that offensive line is pretty darn good. I haven't seen anybody. It's like Kenny Pickett just sit back there and pick his nose. You know, I mean, it really it just seems like does he does anybody ever pressure him? I mean, I just don't see it that much. You know, it seems like he's just back there all day just scanning the field like, you know, I don't like that guy. He don't look open. This guy, hold off, hold on just a little bit longer. This guy's going to be open. That's really what it seems like back there. He's got so much time. I know I'm exaggerating, but that's what it looks like. Uh, doesn't seem like he gets touched very much. Um, defensively, man, I love the way Pat Narduzzi plays defensively because I'm a Steelers guy, and I love to just, you know, smash mouth, hit people. You know, I'm all about defense, and I love the style where, you know, he doesn't care what you're going to do. I mean, you know, he's not like, well, you know, I'm going to put guys out there on the island, and I'm going to load the box up, and I'm going to dare you to run it. I mean, dare you to throw it, right? And I like that style where an offense comes in, and they got six guys in the box, and he's going to say, okay, we're going to put eight in the box. <laughs> you know, you know, he just he's always trying to outnumber you at, up front because he wants to – kind of put that intimidation factor on the offensive line. I like that. Um, I like that aggressive style of play. Um, I'm sure you also like it because you typically throw for about 500 yards against us every game when well, or lose. Well, well <laughs> I understand that the Clemson fan probably likes it when they had Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. Um, yes, but, you know, is DJ any better than what we just saw at Virginia Tech? I don't know. I mean, it, my point being is it works against – Offenses like Clemson has right now. And, yes, I mean, it doesn't always work, but um, but it's going to – it works most of the time um, in these kind of situations. And, you know, hey, by the way, guys, Pitt's only given up 11.3 points a game the last three games. They've actually gotten better on defensive side. I thought that Georgia Tech – what they did against Georgia Tech, I thought was uh, pretty impressive to bounce back the way they did and play on defense the way they did in that game against Georgia Tech um, because I thought Georgia Tech would go in there – and run the ball up and down the field on them. And that wasn't the case. So I give him credit for that. We were definitely worried about Sims going into that game because Pitt tends to struggle against quarterbacks with athleticism who can take off and run. Because mm -hmm. like you said, we put our cornerbacks on islands. So if you can beat the pass rush, there's a lot of green space in front of you. Um, we handled Sims very well. Unfortunately, I think Braxton Burmeister was so shaken up that they were afraid to uh, let him take off, and they really didn't until the second half. But uh, but I would I would tend to agree with you. I've I think we've also been pretty impressed with the way the defense has stepped up uh, ever since they were gashed by a Mac school, which is a yeah. thing we don't talk about. We just and it's, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. We just did our power rankings. Me and Levon did of the ACC power rankings, and uh, before I came on with you guys and um, Levon Kirkland, Levon Kirkland, yeah, yeah. And I, I had uh, I had Pittsburgh number two. Pitt's number two on my power rankings. He actually put them number one. He actually, LaVon actually said, um, one, he says on there because I love Pittsburgh. And he just goes ahead and throws that out there. Uh, but number two, the other reason he put it, he said he finally forgave him for Western Michigan. I'm not so <laughs> forgivable. You know, so I, I got him. Neither are we. I got him at number two because they still did give up 44 points to Western Michigan. Uh, and uh, I can't, because, man, they're undefeated right now. They're probably sitting right outside the top 10. If you beat Clemson in that scenario, then you're possibly thinking, man, these guys got a chance to maybe make the college football playoff, but they kind of, um, you know, 
uh, screwed the pooch with that one, if you will. You know, oh, so. we're well aware. We are well so, aware. So, you know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think, but they really come out the last three games and have done a magnificent job, I think, you know, just putting themselves in better position defensively, making plays, getting pressure on the quarterback. I thought the Virginia Tech game, now, granted, Virginia Tech is horrible. I've watched them a lot this year. They're horrible on offense, but still, they did their job. They did what they were supposed to. They made sure they continued to look horrible on offense, and that's what a, that's what a defense is supposed to do. So I'm sure you're well aware that Kenny Pickett is on his revenge tour this year, and the next team on his hit list is your Clemson Tigers. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you that he will pull a Nathan Peterman and throw for five touchdowns at 300 yards against you guys and come home with the win? Yeah, I think, you know, I think – as I told Clemson fans in the uh, my Monday morning quarterback, they're all worried about the offense and what the offense is doing and stuff like that. And I understand that. But um, the, main, the main concern, I think, right now for Clemson fans is you need to start focusing on just winning football games, no matter how that is, uh, how they do it, whether it's 17-14 or, you know, 31-7 or something. It doesn't matter. They just need to figure a way to win a game. And win them, and and you get to where they want to get to, which is they want to get back to the AC championship game. That's what they want to do. Um, and so, as a Clemson fan, you ought to be very concerned about Kenny Pickett and and what he's doing right now. Twenty two touchdowns, one interceptions, completing what almost seventy percent of his passes. Um, you know, he's averaging. This is a true stat, guys. Kenny Pickett's averaging three hundred and twenty two point three yards a game through the air. Clemson as an offense is averaging 322.3 yards a game. I like that. So, uh, <laughs> so that that's why Clemson fans should be very concerned about Kenny Pickett going there and throwing for 322 yards and five touchdowns um, with no interceptions. Now, granted, let's be honest, guys. Right? Let's be honest. Clemson's going to be the best defense Kenny Pickett has seen all year. It might by be a good best, margin. Yeah, might, might be the best one he sees until he goes to a postseason game. And we all in agreement with that. And I really yeah, no question. Clemson, I really believe if Clemson wins this game, because I still think NC State's going to fall on its face at some point. Dave Dorn is making too big of a deal about not getting respect and stuff like that. You don't do that when you're up and coming team. You know what I'm saying? You don't do that. You don't start throwing stuff out there like that. You you got to go earn that first. You know. And I think you know you if you're worried about that instead of it's going to come to bite you a couple times. You know the teams are going to beat you that you're not expecting to win because you're worried about getting respect instead of actually playing games. So that could – so I think NC State, I still think it's going to fall on its face. They're going to pull an NC State. And I think if Clemson can beat Pitt, then you might see a rematch of this game in the ACC championship game. I really believe that. I think Pitt's going to go to the ACC championship game. I really believe that. You guys might go undefeated. You win this one um, in conference play. So um, – that's that's the way I think it's seen. So I would be very concerned about it. But Clemson's defense, they're going to cause some issues for him because he's going to see some things and um, they're going to do some things that he's not he's not, he hadn't seen this year, you know. And uh, they're going to try to make him uncomfortable. They want to get him out of the pocket as best they can um, and uh, get him off schedule. Um, I think that's the big thing with him. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's not when he's on the run. He's not as comfortable. Doesn't make his good of decisions. And I think Brent Venables is going to want to do that as much. You know, Clemson hasn't blitzed as much this year um, as they normally do. They've really just relied on the pressure from their front four. Um, but I might, you, I think you might see a little more blitzing out of Clemson in this game because 
I think they're going to want to make him uncomfortable in the pocket and have him thinking about where the pressure is coming from, um, try to disguise their coverages as much as they can, um, and just really uh, make him make mistakes. I don't think they want him – unlike the way they played Georgia, when they played Georgia this year, they surprised Georgia because Georgia thought they were going to come in and load the box to shut down the run. Clemson comes out in a three-three-five defense. The Georgia's like, what? We didn't know that was coming. And uh, and so they weren't prepared for it. And Georgia, they just felt like Georgia couldn't methodically move the ball down the field on them. And they couldn't. That's why it was 10-3. to 3 was the final score. Georgia didn't score an offensive touchdown on them. It's going to be the exact opposite with Pitt because they – I think he feels like if you give Kenny Pickett time, he'll pick you apart. So you can't give him time. That's the one thing you can't do. you got to get him off schedule. you got to get him – you got to keep him from getting in a rhythm. Brent Venables told us that today in the, in the press conference that – that's one of the keys they got to do. They got to get pressure. They got to stop the run, get pressure, and uh, just kind of get him off rhythm. They they cannot allow him to get on rhythm at all. Or if he does, then they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I think uh, if you look at the Virginia Tech game a little bit, um, Virginia Tech's D line did have some success early. Um, maybe not always getting home to pick it, but you know, making him a little uncomfortable, making him move out of the pocket, and obviously, you know, he made some plays the enough plays to win the game and he played very well, but only ended the game with 204 yards, um, which is obviously not, not that 323 average we've seen this year. And there were some drop passes and whatnot in there, but I do think um, I agree with you. If, if Clemson can, you know, make it tough on our O line, get to Kenny, get him moving around. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be their best recipe for s- success for keeping us out of the end zone. Yeah. If, if Clemson holds him to 204 yards passing, Clemson will win the game. Because it's absolutely, gonna be right, it's going to be right in their wheelhouse at that point. If they're holding him that, and they're forcing them to run the football to have success moving the ball, um, that's going to play right in what Clemson wants to do. Um, now the question is, it flips back to the other side. Though, what can Clemson's offense do to take advantage of that? I think that's the key to me um, in this entire game is Clemson's offense. What can they do? Um, Clemson's defense will travel. They'll come to play. Um, the the question is, how much success can the offense give them? Um, can the offense help them out? And I really believe the offense needs to help Clemson out in this game. This is the one game where the defense has kind of carried them all year long. You know, I really have legitimately have carried them all year long. This is the time the offense is going to have to come and carry, carry the defense because they're going to need them to score some points. Because Pitt, they're not going to hold Pitt to 14 points. I mean, Clemson has not allowed a single game this year has not, in regulation, has not allowed more than – has not has only allowed two touchdowns in every game at the most two touchdowns you know they held Georgia to none Georgia didn't score a touchdown at all NC State had two touchdowns um uh in uh, Georgia Tech didn't score a touchdown NC State scored two in regulation um Boston College scored one and then last week you saw uh Syracuse score two that's it like Syracuse was the first team to score a touchdown the second half against Clemson and that that was a bomb they threw that they threw a prayer up and the guy caught it and kind of what the guy was out of position for Clemson. That really shouldn't have happened either, to be honest with you. So the one that one touchdown they gave up in the second half all season was really a busted play. That should have never happened. So that tells you how good they are on defense. And but this is a different breed. As I just said, Kenny Pickett is going to see the best defense by far he's seen to this point. Switch it over. This is by far the best offense Clemson has seen to this point. So it kind of goes hand in hand. These are the best. This is the best offense versus the best defense in the ACC. It's going to be an interesting matchup. That's why on the other side is going to determine who wins the game when Clemson has the football. 
Clemson's defense versus Pitt's offense is just going to be straight up clash of the Titans. Um, but our, our defense, which is capable of letting up explosive plays plus your offense, which seems almost incapable of producing them is, is going to be the more interesting matchup in, in terms of the outcome of the game. Uh, and, and so speaking of which, Let's let's get a score prediction. And if you wouldn't mind sprinkling in your projected Kenny Pickett stat line, uh, that would be great. Yeah. So I um well I, I've been watching. Like I said, I've watched pretty much all Pitts games this year, so I know what they're capable of. Um, obviously covered Clemson every game. Um, definitely know what they're capable of. Now, listen, when this matchup, when you get Clemson's offense against their defense, they're going to have opportunities. This is going to be the most opportunities DJ is going to have all year. Everybody's played Clemson with a three-three-five. Every team, Clemson, with the exception of Georgia, who just Georgia just lines up and says, "Our guy's better than your guy, and we're just going to beat the snot out of you." That's kind of what Georgia is doing doing with everybody, and they did that with Clemson's offensive line. But Georgia did disguise some things in the secondary. That's pretty cool what they did that night. And they were very physical, and so that's that's the key to this game. It's Clemson's wide receivers, guys. Um, if Clemson's wide receivers can show they can handle the bump and run and get free, then DJ's going to have some opportunities to get the ball down the field. And he hadn't had that all year because everybody, like I said, has been playing the, the blanket coverage on him, you know. And so, like, you know, he just they haven't had that many opportunities to go deep at all. Uh, Pitt is going to give them those opportunities. So if Clemson can, can handle the numbers up front and let the, and those wide receivers – can do what they didn't do against Georgia, and that's in order to, they got to be physical and get and, and get separation. Um, then Clemson's going to have opportunities. I got to see that to believe it, though. I got to see it to believe it because this isn't Trevor Lawrence and T. Higgins and all those guys. This isn't 2019, 2018, even 2020 Clemson. You know, this team, I, this offense, I haven't seen struggle like this in a long, long time. Um, so I got to see it to believe it. They haven't shown me anything to say they, they're going to do that. Because of that, I think Clemson's going to have trouble moving the football. That's going to keep Clemson's off defense on the field longer than they want to. Um, I think this is a game where Pitt probably is going to win by by a couple touchdowns. Um, so I, I think somewhere between 28 to 14, 35, 14 range. That's what I think, Pitt. Hello. Yep. And Kenny Pickett will probably have 300 yards, a couple touchdowns. I think he'll probably throw a pick. I think Clemson. I think Clemson's defense is going to try to keep them in the game as long as they can. But if the offense does what I think it's going to do, which isn't anything, um, then then I think you know I don't think they I don't think they can win this game. I think I think Pitt's the better team overall, and um, unless there's a turnover, you know, inside Pitt turns the ball over and gets Clemson short field, which is possible. Um, that's the only way I can see Clemson winning because the offense just hasn't showed me anything that they're going to be able to do. Um, what they need to do to win this game, and they got to create separation outside those receivers. They're not going to be able to run the ball against Pitt. Pitt's not going to allow you to run the ball, and so it's going to have to be DJ and those wide receivers. And as I told you guys very early in this podcast, Clemson can't—they haven't been able, the receivers have been the biggest disappointment on this entire team, and so I don't see how that's going to change in one week. I got to say, just I'm, pit. I got to say, maybe I'm just. Very, the- Go ahead, John. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Maybe it's the Pitt fan in us and are always secretly pessimistic anytime something starts to go good. We were surprised to see that we were three-point favorites. Hearing you say you think we're going by multiple touchdowns is eye-opening. 
Yeah, that is not the answer I expected, uh, given all of the evidence you had in support of Clemson, uh, you know, a couple minutes ago. I are you are you trying to do some sort of curse on us? Is is this uh, a is this a trick? No, my job is to be objective and to look at things the way I see it and the way I call it the way I see it. That's that's you know that's how I've made a career in journalism as long as I have. And so, you know, I'm objective to it. And so um, I cover Clemson. I'm not a fan, um, you know. And so my job is to give objective opinions on what I think is going to happen. Um, you know, on Saturday, uh, I did this a few weeks ago. I was on NC State's one, and I told NC State the same thing. Um, I was on, and, and I told him the same thing that I thought Clemson, same issues I'm telling you guys, and I and I and I predicted, you know, a, a close game that NC State would win, and that's what happened. Not not giving myself kudos or anything. I'm just saying I try to see it. I try to call it as I see it. Right now, Clemson's not very good on offense. Their defense is on the field a lot. They get worn down. They got injuries still. They're not 100%, um, and that's hurt the depth a lot. And so you can wear down that defense. And if you wear down that defense, you got a good chance to, to win the football game. That's what NC State did. They wore them down, and eventually they were able to get the ball across the goal line, especially in overtime. When that game went into overtime, you knew Clemson wasn't going to win it because the defense was too tired. They'd been on the field for 96 plays. There's no way they were going to stop NC State uh, with just 25 yards to defend. So, uh, you know, Pitts – you know, if Clemson's offense can't – if they're stagnant like they have been all season – guys, listen to this stat, okay? Here's the stat of all stats. Clemson, in they have not scored more than 19 points against an FBS team all year. Wow. wow. All year. If it wasn't – When you put it that way. Yeah, they're only averaging 20.3 points a game. Okay, and th- and and um, most of that came from the forty nine points they got against South Carolina State. Yeah, they've played Georgia, who is obviously the top dog for defenses. But other than that, I mean, nobody really stands out as a very top defense in the ACC that they've gone through. No, they, they, I mean, they you know Syracuse is a pretty good defense, but it's not Georgia. You know, um, there's no reason to NC State is a really good defense, but they're not Georgia. You know, I mean. Clemson should have put more points on the board against those teams if it was like Clemson has been in the past, you know, but they're just not very good on offense. The problems, you know, the defenses are just taking advantage of what Clemson's problems are. And, and it's like you, said, you get to this point in the season, you're six games in, you are who you are now. I mean, I don't think Clemson's just going to miraculously show up at Heinz Field and score 70 points on Pitt. That's not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you, and if Clemson fans are still thinking that out there, they're sadly mistaken. That's why I was telling them in my Monday morning quarterback, you need to just be happy with the win and stop worrying about how many points the offense is going to score this week because they're not going to do anything on offense. They are who they are. It's just a matter of can they score enough points to win the game is really all you need to worry about. Yeah, I think that's been the big fear for us. Um, it's just, is this the week that Clemson figures it out? But like you said, it's six games in. There, there's not too much going to change. Uh, well, that's what I'm hoping. Like, let's, right. let's put it to something we all understand, <clears throat> the Steelers, right? So we've seen the Steelers the last couple of weeks. They're horrible on offense, too. By the way, the first month of the season, I was, like, watching Saturday, and I was watching a replay on Sundays. <laughs> I mean, it, really, it really was. It's, like, really good defense, but they're out on the field a lot, and they're getting all injured. All their players are getting injured, and the offense just stinking up the joint. You know, they can't pick up a first down to save their life. You know, that, I was watching that on Saturday, then I was watching it on Sunday. I'm like, I'm getting tired of seeing this in back-to-back days. Somebody's got to do something. But what the Steelers have done, they've at least shown improvement the last couple of weeks. 
The offense has gotten better. They're running the football better. They're finding different ways to get their playmakers involved. They're being a little more creative. Like um, the Ebron touchdown run last night, that was a great call. I love that call. Um, You're not seeing that on Clemson. There's no improvement. I mean, all we heard all last week was, oh, man, this Clemson, they're looking good in practice, blah, 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 blah. It didn't translate to the field. You know, they were having the same mistakes. They were shooting themselves with penalties. They are killing drives. This team can't overcome penalties. They're not good enough to. So they're getting, they're getting holding penalties or they're getting illegal procedure penalties that are setting them back. Um, wide receivers are dropping balls that are right in their hands. They're six weeks into the season. They shouldn't be dropping balls that are right in their hands. DJ's gotten better. I will say that DJ has got better the last few weeks. Really started in that overtime against NC State where it kind of looked like he said, okay, I'm not going to worry about getting killed anymore. I'm just going to sit in the pocket and take what happens. And he's gotten a little more confident. So he's delivering the football a little bit better. He's making better decisions. But the rest of the team hasn't gotten better. And that, that's the problem on offense. So, and, and another thing, guys, they don't have a true leader on offense. They don't. There's nobody that has taken the hold of that offense and said, follow me. They don't have anybody because the quarterback's not old enough to, and he's not making enough plays to. Justin Ross is just, you know, he's a shell of himself right now, um, his old self. Um, you know, there's nobody else at wide receiver that's really doing anything that can say they demand that kind of a respect. And then the offensive line has been so horrible. And who's going to listen to Matt Buckhorst when he goes out there and says, you know, he's pissed. So they're like, yeah, well, you need to do something too, bud. You know, I mean, how about you not whiff on a guy, okay? Like, don't be coming at me like that. Where the defense is the exact opposite. you got all these studs on defense that are making plays every week. you got Miles Murphy out there. you got Xavier Thomas. you got got, um, you know, the old man, James Skowski, at middle linebacker. I think he's probably 30-something years old now or something. Um, Nolan Turner, the same way. So they got all these leaders on defense. And they're leading, and you could tell – but there's nobody to do that on the offensive side, and that's why they're that's why they're they have no identity. They just don't. You guys are gonna see it. I know you guys probably think I'm throwing throwing it throwing it at you, but I'm not. I'm telling you, when you see it on Saturday, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll be like, "Dang, he's right. They do suck." I mean, because they, they suck. <laughs> that's the best way to describe it right now. And I think if you heard Tony Elliott honestly say it, offensive coordinator for Clemson, if you could honestly get him to say, give a what he thought thinks of his team. He would have to say they're stinking up the joint right now because they are. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Skalski because I think he and Kenny Pickett used to attend the same speakeasies. <laughs> Skalski has been there. He's a great. He's a great guy. First of all, great, great young man. Um, and man, I talking about you talking about a guy who's an extension of Brent Venables. I mean, he knows what Brent Venables is going to think before Brent Venables thinks it. I mean, really does. I mean, the play against Georgia Tech was all James Skowski in his experience. They're at the goal line. Georgia Tech, they do the, you know, the play goes back to, to Pitt 2016 where they're doing that little shovel pass to the tight end that just killed Clemson that whole day. He said that next week in practice, he said Coach Venables, like they did nothing but that for like the rest of the season. Like they practiced that and practiced it. He says there's still a whole period every week that they dedicate just to the shovel pass and paying attention to it. So here comes Georgia Tech, and he sees the two tight ends, and he sees, as he calls the sniffer, break this way, and they go separate. And that told him, hold on, the two tight ends are always on each other. And when he saw the sniffer break, he's like, oh, okay. They're going to run the shovel pass. Here it comes. And he – nobody else on defense knew what was happening. 
he blew that play up, blew it up, like just went straight to it. You know, that's that's the headiness he has, um, and that that's what he brings to the Clemson defense. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the strongest guy. He's just smart, man. He's like having – he really is like having that coach on the field. He gets the rest of the guys lined up, and he allows them to be in position to make plays, and that's what makes him so good on defense. He's a big part of that. I love the idea that Scott Orndoff broke Brett Venables. He did. He did. Yeah, all I'm hearing is that uh, Pitt deserves a ring for the assist of the national championship because uh, they exposed some holes and made him plug them. Both national championships. And, and you know, by the way, nobody has run to this point that play successful since Pitt in, in 2016. Nobody You're welcome. has run that play wow. <laughs> So, <laughs> Brett was mad, boy. Uh, Skowski was talking about earlier this year how – Coach V was just not happy about that, and like he was going to make sure that never happened again. And to his credit, they haven't. They, you know, and he's like that. He did that with Georgia Tech. You know, when Georgia Tech had the triple option and all that crap, he would spend like during the camp. They would spend an entire day, once a week during camp, fall camp, working on the option. That's all they do: work on the option. Then during the season, no matter if they were playing a triple option team or not they would work on the triple option the entire one period every day in practice, even though they weren't playing a triple option because he always wanted to have in mind what to do when they played Georgia tech, you know? So it was, so it was there, they could rep it and it was in their head. They get used to it. But why? Because his first game against Georgia tech. Oh man, it was chaos. They were running the ball everywhere, doing what Georgia tech used to do under Paul Johnson with that triple option. And Brent Vittles was so pissed about it. He was like, okay, now this ain't gonna happen ever again. I'm going to shut this thing down. You know, and that's what he pretty much did. Paul Johnson really never did anything against Brent Vittles <laughs> because he was he was going to make sure he didn't. And so the shovel pass is the same thing. Yeah, that that Venables is a good one. You guys better hang on to him because every single time Pat Raduzzi uh, coaches a dud of a football game, we discuss how much uh, his loyalty to Clemson is worth um, <laughs> as someone we could go over, go, go after rather. Um, so we, we appreciate all the time. We've, uh, we've gotten from you. I did have two really quick ones before we let you go. Uh, okay. The first one is, as a Steelers fan, could you give us two players, one from each side on Saturday, that you'd love to see in the black and gold in the next two years? From Clemson and from Pitt? Yes. Yep. Okay. Oh, man. That's just a good question. Uh, okay. I'm going to tell you, if the offensive line issues can get better, I tell you, because the Steelers are going to have to draft a quarterback. So, I wouldn't mind taking Kenny Pickett. I wouldn't. There we go. You know, that's yeah. what we wanted to hear. I, I, that's, exactly, I, that's exactly what you wanted to hear. Uh-huh. I, I would. I wouldn't mind having Pickett at quarterback at all if he if he play if if the offensive line can improve on uh, for the Steelers, which we're seeing that because Ben, I think what got hit one time yesterday, one time. Um, so like you know, we can see that get better with that young offensive line. You bring in a young quarterback like him, who's got a strong arm, who's a big guy. I, I, I like it. I, I, I would go with Pickett over there uh, playing for the Steelers. Um, and let's see, for Clemson, well, I'm a defensive guy, obviously, uh, because I love the Steelers. And um, let's see, so I would go on the defensive side of the football for Clemson. And if I had to get asked somebody that I would get, man, there's so many. Um, I tell you one guy that would be perfect right now for the Steelers and what they want to do, especially with Joe Hayden, probably not going to resign after the season's over. And that would be Andrew Booth. 
Andrew Booth would be a perfect Pittsburgh Steeler, like the Clemson cornerback. Um, he's he's tall, he's physical, um, he plays. I mean, dude, he blows. You'll, you'll see if you guys run a screen on him, you're going to see him blow it up. I guarantee it. Oh, we will. He's, he's blown up so many <laughs> screen passes this year. It's not even funny, dude. I mean, he, and he comes like full speed too. I mean, his recognition of the screen and when it's coming. He, he so he studies real well. He's a smart young man. He would be really good um, in the future. Man, I would love to have Brian Brzee. <laughs> that would be awesome to have him up front, um, you know, because Cam's not going to be there forever. So Brian Brzee would be perfect in, in the black and gold. Um, and then this guy, uh, Miles Murphy, the defensive end for this for Clemson. Man, he, he'd be perfect also in that system. Uh, he plays the run so well. He's such, such a good run stopper. You'll see him number 98 for Clemson. Um, those, those would be the guys. Um, but right now, if you're saying just for next year, because I think this guy's going to be available, obviously, next year, it's without a doubt Andrew Andrew Booth. So remember that name, Andrew Booth, a cornerback. If the Steelers can get him, you want to get him. Trust me. Sign me oh. up. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds good to me. Um, and, and then last one, I you you wrote a book, um, yes. The Hidden History of Clemson Football. Yep. Uh, holding it up. We'll have to get a screenshot of that. Get, get uh, Plug the link on Amazon. Uh, I'm a huge fan of college football history. I think it's the most yeah. interesting thing. However, um, all I know about Clemson football pre 2011 is Charlie Bauman getting sucker punched uh, yeah. by Woody Hayes. Can you, can you fill me in a little bit with uh, a brief, interesting an- anecdote from uh, the olden days of Clemson? Something, something that what, what are your favorite Clemson stories to tell at parties? Okay. Wow. Okay, so I'll tell this because a lot of people um, get confused on it. So you know Howard Rock, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for your people out there that may don't, uh, Howard Rock is the rock that Clemson rubs when they run down the hill um, into Death Valley. Um, and by the way, so this is another thing people probably don't know that are listening to your podcast. Clemson is the original Death Valley, not LSU. Clemson was way before named Death Valley. I even found it, and it's in my book, by the way. Um, Clemson was uh, called Death Valley by uh, a coach for Presbyterian College here in South Carolina. His name was Lone Lone McMillan, and he gave it the name in the 1940s, just after Death Valley began, because his his, uh, PC teams would come to Clemson and would get shelled, like 73 to nothing, and all that. So he told his players one time on their way, and it was always the opening game of the season. So it's like a hundred degrees out here in Clemson. If you ever been down south, you know, in the early September, the humidity is unbearable. And so he would um, he would bring his team up to Clemson to play, and he would tell them, "Guys, you're gonna go. We're gonna go get our annual butt kicking in Death Valley." You know, and that's just it is what it is. You know, because it was just a payday for them, and so they would uh, get hammered. Um, and so that's where it started. Well, in the 1950s, early 50s, Frank Howard, the legendary Clemson head coach, who the famous rock is named for, he, um, he would start calling it Death Valley to the media guys. And so you can find documentation when he's like in the 1951 Orange Bowl calling it Death Valley, Memorial Stadium Death Valley. And um, so I wanted to know when Clemson played LSU in the Chick-fil-A Bowl in 2012, I believe, uh, which is now the Peach Bowl, which was always Peach Bowl, but now it's Chick-fil-A. It's confusing. You know, bowl games are. So anyway, um, I want I did a story on who did it first, who was called Death Valley first. 
So I found Clemson's end, right? So then I researched LSU's. Well, there's a book written in 1996 called 100 Years of LSU Football. And inside the book, they talk about, the writer describes how Clemson's Death Valley is the original Death Valley. And that he tells the origin story behind how Death Valley and Baton Rouge was called Death Valley. And this is what happened. We all heard of Billy Cannon, right? The Heisman Trophy winner from LSU. Well, he was um, 1959 season. They're playing Ole Miss. That, I'm sure you've heard that famous story against Ole Miss where he takes the punt return and takes it all the way for touchdown. Well, at the time, and I called Paul Dietzel, who was the head coach at the time. I called him and talked to him also when I did this story. And Coach Dietzel told me that at that time, they only called LSU Tiger Field. So that's what it was called. It was called Tiger Stadium. At that time, it was called Tiger Field. It wasn't even called Tiger Stadium, um, I believe. Um, so that's what it was called. And so it was no Death Valley or anything. Now, the locals, though, would call it Death Valley, T-D-E-A-F, Death Valley, because it's so doggone loud. That's what they would call it. And the, and, but the uh, Cajuns couldn't say it. So when Billy Cannon came out and scored the touchdown, like the place went crazy. And the Cajuns that live around the university and the stadium were all coming out of their house, and they're like, what's going on here? And the guy and the people would say, it's just going on over there in Death Valley. They were saying Death Valley, but because they're Cajuns, it sounded like Death Valley. And so everybody thought they were saying Death Valley, people who didn't understand Cajun. And so that's how it stuck. And so that's, they, so it really started like in the night, late 1959, 1960s before LSU started calling it Death Valley, where Clemson had already been calling it Death Valley since the late 40s. So Clemson is the original Death Valley. I like to tell people that all the time because, and this is another true story, Clemson and LSU, when they met in the 1997, uh, I think it was 97, 96 Peach Bowl, um, this is the first time they had met since the 1959 Sugar Bowl. And there was a big stink about it where Clemson and LSU both wanted or both didn't like the fact that the other was called the other Death Valley. And really Clint more Clemson than LSU because Clemson's like, no, that's our thing. And you guys stole it from us, you know, and they wanted them to stop doing it really, really kind of came down with both universities. They couldn't win who owns the rights to it. So both universities just agreed that they could each call it death Valley and that they would stop trying to have this pissing contest, if you will, you know, to see who the real death Valley was. So that's kind of the way it goes. Um, but a lot of people always get confused uh, about LSU's death Valley because Obviously, ESPN talks about the, ES, uh, the SEC way more than the ACC, and so it gets the it gets the dub that it's the, the real Death Valley. But that's something that a lot of people don't know that it's not that it really wasn't. You know, Clemson's always been Death Valley, where LSU didn't start doing that until the 1960s. So that's one story there. That's really interesting, and it, and it tracks because I know uh, LSU Stadium gets so loud that it can register on seismographs as yeah. as. And earthquakes. That's really interesting. Wow. Um, and it's a great atmosphere. <laughs> Baton Rouge is an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, the, the Frank Howard story, though, is a lot of people will get confused on, especially Clemson fans, they get confused on when the rock was actually put on top of the hill and began. So <clears throat> and the story goes, in 1960, this guy, excuse me, in the, in the late, early 60s, late 50s maybe, this guy named S.C. Jones went out to the original Death Valley, California. And he was driving through on his way to Los Angeles and he just stopped and said, Hey, look, I'm going to get one of these rocks and I'm going to bring it back to Clemson and give it to coach Howard for our death Valley. 
And so uh, he brings it all the way back to Clemson and uh, presents it to Coach Howard. He gives it to him as a gift. And it's a true story. Coach Howard, though, didn't really do anything with the Roth. He used it as a doorstop in his office. So <laughs> true story. And so <laughs> one year in the late, in the, in the mid 60s, um, the executive director for IPTE, him and Coach Howard were going through their office and they were cleaning it up. And he sells, he tells the guy, the executive director for IPTE, he's like, hey, look, IPTE means I pay $10 a year. It's the booster organization for Clemson, which, by the way, fun fact, Clemson is the very first school, university, or high school to have a booster club. And that was IPTE in 1934. Um, that was anywhere in the country. Uh, Clemson was the very first one to do it. Uh, so that's a fun fact there uh, for you also. But so anyway, he tells this guy to go take this rock and throw it over in the valley with the rest of them. And the guy's like, coach, we, you know, he thought to himself, coach, we can't, this is a gift somebody brought you. I'm not going to go throw it into the valley with the rest of the rocks, you know, cause there's some rocks. If you come to Clemson, you'll see where the rocks are under, uh, behind, underneath the stadium and stuff like that. Um, and uh, coach Howard says, well, do what you want to do with it then. I, I don't care. You know, coach was, he's just an old grumpy old guy. And, um, so Gene Williman, he's the guy, the executive director, he takes the rock and he puts it on a pedestal at the top of the hill. And that was at the start of the 1966 season. Now, true fact, first game, um, they take that rock, uh, the rocks at the top of the hill. Clemson is down to Virginia. At the time, they had never lost to Virginia in a football game. Um, they were like 20, uh, maybe 20 and 0 or maybe 15 and 0 or something against Virginia all time at that time. And um, they take the rock and put it up the top of the hill and uh, Clemson's down 35 to 17 going into the fourth quarter in that game. And they come back and win that game 40 to 35. Scored uh, 23 points in the fourth quarter and win the game 40 to 35. So you would think that's when the legend of the rock was born, right? Nope, that wasn't it. That's what everybody thinks. Actual legend started in 19, the following year, after Clemson went undefeated at home that first year with the Rock up there, somebody pointed that out to Coach Howard. Hey, Coach Howard, you guys ain't never – you haven't lost. You went undefeated last year at home ever since they put that Rock up there. He's like, really? So he decided for the Wake Forest game, he would tell the story that you probably heard where he says um, – he tells his boys at the beginning of that game, don't touch my – he says, if you want to touch my Rock, you got to promise me you're going to give 110%. If you can't give me 110%, keep your filthy hands off my damn Rock. And uh, and so now Clemson rubs the rock every time they run down the hill into Death Valley, and that's where the tradition began. It was 1967. So the funny part of that story, though, there was an old lady in Traveler's Rest. Coach was doing his show, and he was telling that story. And uh, she sends him a message. She says, if you believe in God more than you believe in that rock of yours, you might win a few more football games. <laughs> <laughs> so i love that a little lady from traveler's rest sent him that uh so uh it was, she sent him a letter telling him that so it's pretty good story about the rock and all but there's a couple little anecdotes i know it's probably bored some people but it's always like to say they're fun stories no college football is the best for for those kind of stories uh you know the the folks here the 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 more we would associate with football it's it's very much built into that football guy culture um and and that's why i think college football is God's greatest gift to the earth. Speaking of stories real fast, I know you guys got to go and you're going to let me roll. Um, this is not Clemson's first trip to Pittsburgh, to the city of Pittsburgh, to play a football game. Here's a fun really? fact for you. Yes. Uh, while this contest will represent Clemson's first road game against the Panthers in the series history, 
It will be Clemson's second game in Pittsburgh all time, joining the Tigers' 34 to 13 win against Duquesne at Forbes Field in 1940. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> How about that? Wow! <laughs> you could only hang 34 on the Duquesne Dukes. Yeah, that was Coach Howard. That was one of Coach Howard's teams, by the way. Uh, check this out. A mid-November rainstorm dampened the crowd of 5,000, but didn't deter Bobby Gage, who went on to play for the Steelers, by the way, who counted for 179 yards of total offense and two touchdowns in the victory over the Dukes. Wow. Quite a, quite a storied franchise that you guys have at Clemson, and we really appreciate you sharing some of that history with us. Uh, we hope to uh, – to kind of dampen it a little bit on Saturday, but um, we, we appreciate the opportunity to know a little bit about Clemson, uh, your season, and your history. After he had a couple of flubs, I went over and gave him a kiss early in the game, and Chris Boone's been a money guy on, on field goals and a pass, and he made a major game winner. Once again, we want to thank Will Vandervoort from Clemson Insider for joining us on this week's episode. Now, we got to hear all that talk about the Clemson football program, past and present, and we get to give our score predictions for this weekend at Heinz Field. David, let me hear what you got. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Will for doing all of my research for me so now I can make an educated decision. Um, I am going to go with uh, 24 to 14. No, I'm sorry, 24 to 17. I think they're going to get a second touchdown in there, Clemson is, uh, because whether they've shown it or not this year, they have unbelievable athletes on that team that are capable of breaking big plays. And Pitt is still, you know, it didn't happen much against Virginia Tech, but I'm still not sold on the fact that they can stop big plays from happening on a per-game basis. So I do think Clemson will steal, um, you know, two big plays that either result in touchdowns or lead to them. Uh, but I, I think that somehow, by the grace of God, the Pittsburgh Panthers have a better football team than the Clemson Tigers that are coached by Dabo Swinney. I can't believe I'm saying those words, but I genuinely believe it, and Will does too. So I think it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be a very hard-fought game, especially with how tough Clemson's defense is. But I, I think this is where Kenny Pickett shows the country who he is. And he puts together a gutsy performance for a huge win in a packed Heinz field that really lets people know that this pit team is for real. So 24-17 is my take. I'm having a hard time making a prediction because my head is still spinning from Will saying we were going to win by two touchdowns. That just threw for the biggest loop of all time. Did yeah. not see that conversation going in that direction. I think all three of our jaws were on the ground. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it didn't really change my mind. I still was going to pick Pitt to win. Uh, I still think Clemson is going to put up more points than they usually do. And I think Clemson's defense is a little banged up. They're missing a couple guys on the D-line that would have made things a lot more difficult for us. And that goes in our favor. So I'm going Pitt 27 Clemson, 20. I think the offenses figure out a little bit this week. The, the stat that really stood out to me was the fact that Clemson hasn't scored 20 points in regulation against an FBS team this year. Um, I think they do it this week. I think they score exactly 20. I think the Pitt Panthers score 21. I don't think this is going to be a 2-3 score game like, like Will thought it was. 
I think this is going to be an all-time classic in Heinz Field. And I don't know, just something about this game Saturday feels feels like it's going to be... I, I don't think either team will run away with it. I think there's going to be a tight game. I think these are the top two teams in the ACC still, um, as bad as Clemson's offense has been. Um, but Pitt has the firepower on offense. Clemson has arguably the best defense in the country. I think those... Those two forces will come together. Pitt will put up a solid performance, just enough to get the win, and the Pitt Panthers will walk out of Heinz Field 6-1. and one. My biggest concern was Pitt has scored a lot of big plays, and we kind of made a living off of that. I was concerned on if Pitt could sustain long drives against good defense. I thought maybe they wouldn't be able to dink and dunk their way off the field. But the Virginia Tech game, they did that. They had a couple of really long drives and were able to move the ball. That gave me a little bit more confidence. I think we'll march down into Clemson territory, get a couple field goals. I don't think we're going to be throwing 50-yard bombs left and right on this team, but I think we'll put up some points. Our offense is that good. We'll see. If we've seen anything from Narduzzi this year, it's that he's not looking for field goals. He's willing to go for it on those Mm -hmm. fourth and shorts. So uh, Kicking game hasn't had a lot of experience, so that's why my score prediction was 21. I hope we don't have to kick any field goals on Saturday. Yeah, I... I'm really trying to emotionally prepare myself for this game because if you think of all of Pitt's wins, they weren't exactly nail biters. Even the Tennessee game, which was a one-score game, um, we were we were we were pretty much in control of that game, and they they had you know a, a very brief you know effort at a comeback. Uh, but all of the games that we've won, we've won pretty handily. Uh, and the game that we lost, I think we knew in the fourth quarter that we were going to lose that game. So Pitt hasn't had a true nail-biter yet this season. My heart is not yet ready to watch a game go down to the wire with this much on the line as a Pitt Panthers fan. So I'm like deeply concerned about my health on Saturday. My fingertips, fingernails, and heart rate disagree with you about the Tennessee game not being a nail-biter. I was, I was like collapsing the ground and jumping through the ceiling at every good or bad play. And I thought to myself, this is only out-of-conference game. Yeah, I was like, once Clemson comes to town, how am I going to survive? And here we are. It's Monday. I had a horribly unproductive day. I could not stop thinking about this game. Well, we're almost there. This Saturday at Heinz Field, are we willing to call this the, the biggest game of the Pat Narduzzi era at Heinz Field? Unquestionably. Either that or the first Pitt-Penn State game. But this, this game, As far as actual uh, implications, implications Yes. Really take take control in the ACC Coastal. Obviously, this isn't a Coastal opponent, but a win here, I mean, we're two full games ahead of everyone else in the conference going into the rest of conference play. I don't think even Pitt could pit themselves into losing the ACC Coastal if they went this week. Hopefully, we won't need that knock on wood. Hopefully, we just go and take care of Clemson. But, hey, I'll be there on the North Shore Saturday. Every single one of you listening should be there on the North Shore Saturday. It's going to be a glorious day. Not many opportunities you get like this as a Pitt fan. Let that dickhead Dabo hear it. Get to Heinz Field. Get loud. And I can just see the look on David's face. He has nothing to say. He has nothing left to say. Please win. Thank you for listening to the Loyal Sons Podcast. Remember, subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Twitter. That's at Faithful on Twitter. We'll see you on the North Shore on Saturday at Heinz Field as the Pittsburgh Panthers take on 
the Clemson Tigers in a clash of the top teams in the ACC. Show up early. We'll be tailgating all day. Come look for us. Probably have a cold beer flag flying. Have a few cold beers in our hands. And we're going to go in to Heinz Field and watch the Pitt Panthers win the game. Please win. Please, Please win. win. Please win. As always, hail loyal sons of Pittsburgh.